Welcome to Real Talk, real estate discussions with Andrew Kirsch. In each episode, Andrew interviews industry leaders. We'll hear their real-time opinions on today's market, their background and unique career highlights, and guidance for newcomers into the industry. You can find this show at scalarkirsch.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Now here's the host of Real Talk, Andrew Kirsch. Episode 28 of Real Talk, we're smack in the middle of summer. And traditionally, summertime is always a slower time in the transactional space. I think this summer, uh, it's even slower for multiple reasons. Obviously, the economy is still figuring out uh, what to do with itself. Uh, transactions are, are sluggish. Capital is still on the sidelines. But in addition, uh, it's just a human capital uh, people aren't gone for now, you know, just one week or two weeks. People are gone for a month or six weeks. Uh, you know, a lot of my peers now have uh, kids that are of sleepaway camp age, and they are sending their kids to seven-week sleepaway camps, and they use that as an excuse, almost like a second honeymoon, to travel Europe or wherever for several weeks, and. Um, this ends up being a uh, causing a, a slowness in the transactional market. Uh, I know it sounds sort of I don't know funny uh, that people's vacations can slow down the uh, the cadence of deals, but but it certainly has. Uh, on this week's episode, I have a good friend of mine, Colby Dernan, who's the founder and CEO of Creed, a company based in Orange County, which has two verticals, one uh, construction management and heavy asset management of third-party real estate projects, and another uh, on the buying, owning, operator side uh, of certain asset classes. You know, Colby has a very interesting perspective where he sits being both a service provider uh, and an owner-operator. We get into a myriad of issues uh, across all asset classes, and Colby, definitely one of the most interesting uh, people in the world based on his love affair of extreme sports and extreme, uh, how should I say, business development, networking opportunities, not your typical golf, tennis, going to a ball game. Uh, You'll hear from Colby. I hope you enjoy. Hello. Welcome to another edition of Real Talk. I'm here with my good friend, Colby Dernan, CEO of Creed. Colby, what's going on? Hey, Andrew, great to see you today. Uh, Likewise. And so, look, let's start with this background, uh, this amazing golf course and development. And hopefully people are watching and not just listening. Uh, They won't be able to see, but at least they'll be able to hear. What is that golf course behind you? That is a new project of ours called Punta Brava, which is located in northern Baja, uh, we're working for the Salinas family and a gentleman by the name of Brian Tucker, who's been working on this for about 16 years. And it is a Tom Doak golf course, along with uh, 77 4,000 foot casitas and about 36 homes. And then in the future, a, a private airport uh, where you can clear customs. So we're destined to build one of the top five golf courses in the world, uh, opening August of 2024 for 300 members. Wow. That's, uh, that's amazing. Well, I feel like I was just at one of the top, uh, golf courses in the world this past week. Uh, 
at LA Country Club and uh, um, can't maybe they should, well it won't be the U.S. Open down at your course since it's in Mexico, but uh, they definitely by the look at it they should be playing some tournaments. It looks amazing. Now is that a rendering or is that an actual picture of what it looks like right now? No, that's a rendering. We're uh, okay. we're about three holes in, and uh, we actually just recruited uh, C.J. Kirshner, who is the the superintendent from Terry Eady Golf Course in New Zealand. So we're moving him over in uh, in September to start the initial grassing operations. Oh, I can't wait to to check it out if I'm if I'm invited. You will be invited, my friend. I can't wait to have you play it with me. I love it. All right. Um, so. I feel like whenever we talk and you have your hand in, in, a, in a lot of different cookie jars from owning real estate to being the construction manager to contractor to uh, expert hella skier to fisherman in the deep sea to hunter. I, I, literally there isn't something that I've come across where you don't do. So um I guess let's start with the professional side. What is Creed? So Creed is a 21-year-old company that's a national real estate development and project management firm. Uh, my partner, Thomas Ryder, runs our development company and where we develop, own, or redevelop uh, projects for ourselves and with a combination of high net worth, family office, and institutional investors. We focus predominantly on multifamily, light industrial and self-storage in six states. And then I run the project management fee development side of our business, where, where we have people in 27 states and 68 cities. Uh, we work in all asset classes. And that really is part of our DNA that makes us different, where a lot of developers are great at acquisitions, but they're not great on execution. And you have a lot of project managers or construction managers who don't understand what it is to be an owner or what it is to what the capital stack is. And we always say we perform for you like we're owners because we are. And I'd say a third of our clients actually allow us to roll part of our fees in. So we're fully aligned and, you know, investing in their projects with them. So um when you started 20 years ago, did you start with this broad group of services and different platforms of owner operator and also third party fee uh, service or how did it start? It started actually out working for Oak Tree Capital Management. I was recruited by Russ Bernard who ran Oak Tree's real estate group before John Brady. Uh, I always laugh back when they their our total AUM was the same, uh, roughly the same that they sold the management company for. Hmm. Give you a frame of reference. Uh, and our my job was to uh, either work for Oak Tree when they had direct deals, or they had um, general partners that didn't have a deep bench, or even uh, you know problem children. Uh, I took that same application to to Westport Capital Partners with Russ and Greg Geiger and Sean Armstrong uh, about five years later and really worked exclusively with them for seven years and uh, on a programmatic basis and, you know, helped them with real estate deals all across the country, um, you know, kind of Mississippi West and all asset classes. And so along the way, I was able to collect a great team of people because we were working on so many different asset classes. I mean, we got to work on hotels, senior living, assisted living, repositioning historic offices, ground up multifamily, ground up office, you name it, 
you know, we were working on it and then we collected great team members over the years that even augmented that further. So um, it's it's helped us grow where we are today because we can put a, a local specialist with an asset class specialist if that person isn't one and the same. Yeah. And, and so um, I want to talk about, you know, all segments of, of your company and what you're seeing, focusing on on the fee services side. So what's your your typical client? Uh, it sounds like you've you, you have private equity clients and uh, owner operator clients. I mean, so so talk about the, the if there is a prototypical client and project and why is it that that they need your services, even if they are integrated themselves with with um, you know sufficient personnel. So I, I guess I'll give you. I'll start with what's a what's not a great client for us. You know, to kind of eliminate that box, which is, you know, the true owner operator that's doing one or two deals a year. They're you know they're using the development fees to really keep the lights on, and they're doing it more as a lifestyle than they are truly a scalable business, or you know, the, the mega fund that is investing in a, a super sophisticated developer, i.e., you know, an oak tree partnering with a Heinz. There's really not a reason to have us there other than compliance. Um, our prototypical perfect group is either that developer that is moving into multiple cities and we can show them how it's more cost effective for us to be an extension of their company. Um, you know, our project managers, as an example, part of their bonus is determined if whether or not they actually attend the holiday party of the client. Uh, <laughs> people think, oh, that's funny. But I'm like, well, look, if if we're executing and to be the tip of the spear for you, we need to not only understand your project, we need to understand your business plan, we need to understand your culture. We need to understand what your expectations are without you telling us and be able to really be an extension of you. So it's it's that group that you know might not have four or six projects in a geographical area. Once you start to spread, it actually becomes more cost effective to use a group like ours. If you're doing four or six projects in Southern California or Phoenix and SoCal, it's more cost effective for you to build that team in-house. If you're spread more, you know, more geographically or over different asset classes, it's more beneficial to use a group like us. Mm -hmm. we, all, we also will do a lot of work for um, private equity funds that are your mid your mid markets, you know. Uh, your your Westports, your Brasses, your Pennybackers, your Artemises that you know might be investing with GPs that don't have a deep bench, and we can help provide something that's more than just a, a draw summary. It's really being boots on the ground to help make sure that that GP is successful, so that they the LP invests with them again, or you know, and helping really maintain that relationship. And then, of course, there's friends like ours, like Brian Good and and Matt Schulman, you know, with debt funds that will help on that side where maybe there's they've reached up a little in the capital stack. And so if there is a problem, we're there to help fix it, um, you know, versus just telling them, sending them a report about what's wrong. Yeah. And so um, how what's your fee structure to the client? Is it a percentage of the budget? Is it hourly? Uh, how does it work? So the market typically will do it as a percentage of, of hard costs or mm -hmm. if, we're, if we're working as a fee developer, it's a, a percentage of hard and soft costs. Uh, I've always been against that, you know, philosophy because again, 
if there's change orders, my fees go up. Well, you're paying me to keep your costs down. So it's counterintuitive for me to be paid to fail you. So we generally will look at it. We benchmark it against market rate fees. Uh, and we bucket that under what we call a project management light, medium, you know, full speed or full development. And there's there's industry, depending on the size of the job, those can range from, you know, 50 basis points all the way up to 6%. We look at that and say, okay, what's the job? Who are we staffing it with? What are the estimated hours? We break it into a pre-construction, you know, i.e. entitlement or even pre-development, pre-construction, construction, post-construction. Post we'll then come up with a monthly fee. Um, once we actually get to a schedule and a GMP, we'll fix it. And then if we're over schedule, we eat the excess fees unless there's a reason for us to extend. And for us, we, we believe, again, no different than you being paid as an attorney, people are paying for that professional service. So we think people should have an expectation of what they're getting and receiving. And, you know, we should have something at risk other than just reputation for performing our services. And what what's a... I guess, I don't know if it's a minimum project size or the more typical project size where it makes sense to hire your services. So um, I would say I, uh, we'll do small, like as an example, we're working on 180 self-storage centers across the US for a read. And the average work ticket is, you know, 50, 50 to $75,000 per storage center. And for that, you know, we, We'll charge. We'll we'll actually put we put two people on it and we took care of the whole thing. So it's you know there's reputation. If it's a single job, it's about a million dollars worth of work. You know it's if it's under that, if it's paint and carpet and stuff like that, you, you honestly are better off having a property manager do it, or frankly, you know having your deal person or the asset management person really look after it and take care of it because those super small jobs you actually want to have the relationship between the landlord and the tenant and not have third parties involved as much. It's sophisticated office builds out, $500,000 million or up, or, you know, we do, I'd say our smallest you know, multifamily deal was 15 units. Um, and that was a, uh, you know, a renovation conversion from uh, affordable housing and rent control up in North Hollywood for a friend of ours, um, of yours and mine that, uh, you know, we we fixed for them and got you know converted to market rate, uh, all the way up to like Punta Brava is a, you know, close to billion dollar project overall. Yeah. Um, now you said you're in what sixty eight cities. Uh, I mean, yeah, how twenty seven states. Twenty seven states. So, how have you been able to scale to to that size? And are are these employees of Creed, or you have like? contractor relationships i mean how, how do you how do you get to all of these places and know that these professionals are of the quality and standard and background and pedigree that you know you would you would you know expect so I'll, I'll give you a little longer version of the story when i when i started um and you know really when i actually hit the reset button started working with westport it was just me it was me in a hotel room working for a private equity fund and you know overseeing it and i realized you know if i broke my hip if something happened to me if i got sick there was there really wasn't an opportunity there for me to work 
And I hearken back to the days of when I started in the business working for Urban Partners and Paul Keller and Keller CMS. Back then, we we paid. By, by the way, not to interject, you'd be breaking your hip because of doing one of your ten like crazy <laughs> activities. Like you don't just like hang out and like do pickleball. We can talk about that later. But well, it's, I'm actually afraid of pickleball because everybody I know who plays it like tears their ACL or tears an Achilles or something. It's oh yeah, but but jumping off the thirty thousand feet, oh, no, maybe not thirty, but thirteen thousand feet, uh, and and do crazy stunts on skis is is easy and, and and not dangerous at all but continue with the the history of your expansion well since we're digressing just for the audience i'd like everyone to know that uh mr kirsch was right behind me on that shoot so i was <laughs> not skiing by myself <laughs> uh, so back in the day when i started you know the market was to pay 50 percent to independent contractors of whatever the billing rate was and i really I sat and broke it down years ago to say, even if I was a one person operator, what am I really getting? By the time I take out the trash, pay my note, send my bills out, do my accounting, and it worked out to be about 68% net effective. Um, not probably overly different than a legal practice. Sure. And uh, so I, I started off and started buying companies and buying you know small platforms. And I realized that when I did that, a lot of the operators lost that entrepreneurial flair, the fire in the belly to, to again, go back to our, you know, part of our advantage is we serve owners best because we are, we are owners. I always say Creed plays offense, you know, we're customer and client obsessed and we're family. And when we started buying those groups, I, I lost some of that. So I went through all my Rolodexes and, which was still a thing back then, started flipping through my, you know, open my uh, my binder full of my cards and found all the architects, engineers, contractors that I worked through with my career and started calling them and came up with a list of the top couple hundred operators in the country uh, that were one or two person operators that were in their 50s and um, that, you know, could use support, could were had enough gray hair that they'd had the experience, but they might not want to do punch list anymore. They might not want to do that. So we started bringing them in as our independent contractors. Uh, and they're about half of our workforce. And we team them up with our home office or we team them up with APMs, assistant project managers that have great technology, have all the back of house accounting and billing, you know, that have we have the whole technology platform. Um, and we were able to utilize these gentlemen and ladies where we could leverage what we knew. Uh, and we actually were able to create a program called CSPs, it's Creed Strategic Partners. So these people actually have a contract that they sign and those that are with us for a longer term become part owners of Creed, where they're actually more contractually obligated to us than our own employees. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's a two-way street. We interface every single week we talk about the market we talk about void analysis of what's going well and not well with every project and you know during covid when arizona was going crazy and you couldn't get insulation i was having csps from atlanta and nashville shipping insulation to us to get roofing projects done you know it's stuff that you'd never get if you were just a small regional player and you also when i look at my competition who's truly national they're too broad to have that interpersonal relationship with their team members because they don't have the family culture. 
Yeah. And so is it, you know, having a, I mean, no different than, you know, the law firm industry and in, in, in that we've got people across the country and uh, especially with COVID, we really expanded partly because um, the, you know, the labor market was so tight. Uh, and secondly, if I wasn't going to see uh, and interact uh, in an office uh, when we were on lockdown, someone that lives you know two minutes away from me, then they could live anywhere around the country. Um, but you know, confirming that you know someone that we have in Michigan and Florida and New Jersey and you know we're all over the place has the same skill set and standards and expertise um, is is hard to ascertain. Uh, in an interview, uh, it really takes, you know, several jobs to, to confirm that. Um, and I guess whether they're local or, or national, you still have the same, same issues, but the fact that you've scaled and are you know responsible for all these people, it's, uh, it's really a testament because you want them to, to carry the brand and have the same quality. And it, we do a lot with word of mouth and referrals. Um, you know, our, my COO, Joe Keelar, you know, ran Boston, Southern California for Turner. He was the ex-president of R.D. Olson Construction. We have the ex-CEO of Regency Construction as one of our C-suite members. Um, you know, Jace Bergias was from Cole and Donahue Schreiber. So as you know, it, it, we're in the people business. And so it's when you can find one person in an area that you reach out to their architect and you figure out who they've worked with over the years. And it's so you're you're not coming at it cold out of a, an interview. It's for us to join our team. It really you're really being referred up, which has helped us a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the market in general. Sure. I mean, you guys have an interesting position in that your owner operators and you know fee uh, construction management uh, services. So what's your take on uh, on today's market? Um, where are you seeing construction prices? And and I guess how has the, this is a loaded question. There's so many different permutations and how many, uh, or, and, and how has the rise in interest rates, you know, affected your business? So, um, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to unpack that. Yeah, unpack. I'm sorry. You know, lawyers, lawyers hate it when there's compound questions and there's an objection compound. So yeah. how about you choose which question you'd like to answer in which order? Sure. So let me, let me start with the market. Uh, you know, the running I, the running joke for the last few weeks since we were all at ULI was it used to be, you know, can you survive till 95 and now it's stay alive till 25. Right. Um, you know, you're definitely starting to see the cracks and not just in office. We're getting calls from operators, from debt funds, from MES lenders um, on incomplete or, you know, not totally complete projects where you know we're starting to step in to take over whether it's for the lender or for the lp removing the gp um, because they're either behind schedule or over budget or they're out of loan covenant um you know i'm i i don't think you're going to see the extensions we saw during COVID this this go around um you know, the interest rate hikes to answer your questions are affecting a lot of people because their rate caps have burned off in a lot of cases and it's too expensive to buy that rate cap again. Um, you know, we've seen a 
slow down on new starts, uh, but it really depends on the city. If you look at Nashville, um, even though Nashville in theory is overbuilt with multifamily, it's still proceeding industrial super strong there. Dallas, you know, you've got 20 plus million square feet of, of excess industrial, you know, a million square foot and above. That being said, if you look at that, that's less than nine months of absorption. So, you know, the, the Dallas is not going away as an industrial hub of our country. You know, nearshoring and industrial is not going away at all. It's people forget that we're in a long lag business. You know, a quick business plan is three to is three years. You know, an average business plan for a development deal by the time you start, plan, build, lease up, execute, and sell is, you know, it's four to five years time. Um, so, you know, with that, uh, I will tell you that we've seen material prices drop dramatically. Um, outside of concrete, cement, you know, cement aggregate is still high. Uh, cement is still high. California's losing two batch plants. So you're gonna see probably a 16% rate hike in concrete uh, for the balance of this year in, in Southern California. And that's a par partially due to lack of productivity. And also they agreed to pay the uh, truck drivers more down here, but those batch plants are going to Arizona. So now you're where you couldn't get concrete a year ago in Arizona, now you can. Uh, ex, you know, we have, you're seeing slowdowns on building in Dallas, so that's coming up. Woods dropped, you know, from 1,500 to 480 bucks per thousand square feet. Steel's down 27%. But then your labor, your question on labor is, where is that? And that really is market by market. Inflation has continued to rise labor costs, but now you're starting to see a softening. And, uh, to your point of why, well, interest rates have affected new starts. It's, you can't get a 65% LTC loan anymore on multifamily. You're now down at 48 or 52% unless you're taking PREF equity. Um, so we've seen a slowdown on that, but where we've seen the acceleration is mega projects that take long years. Um, you're seeing uh, resorts, yeah, which we're involved in, you know, start to reinvest in there. You're seeing uh, private equity funds reinvest in their core apartments because they they want to be defensive going into this correction. Um, you know, so like I mean, and not hey, here's two or three, but ten thousand apartments at a time. And then you're starting to see a roll up of hotels where the operators, uh, you know, use the during COVID they use their funds in their FF and E reserve to pay for their interest reserve. Uh, and now they're out of compliance on their PIPs. So you're seeing an opportunity for a lot of people to come in and bring in rescue capital for those PIPs that were deferred. So it's, it's shifting everywhere. Yeah. I and mean, so, I mean, your vantage point, you're, you are seeing all of these trends across the country, different asset classes. And so how does having the fee business, especially in these times, uh, help the ownership side of your business? Uh, well, a couple of ways. It's, it's all, our company has always been designed. We felt that we're a fiduciary, whether we're taking a dollar as a service provider or you're investing with us, but it's always been a machine for us to cover overhead. So we don't have to do bad deals or don't have to do deals to cover payroll. Um, it allows us to see deals that we might want to buy and then you know, again, it, it's a two-way street. So a lot of our customers are also our investors 
and investors are also our customers. So it, it, um, you know, we, we don't act as brokers. Um, you know, for us, it, it's a network and relationship business plan to be around it for another 20, 30 years, I hope. Um, and so it's, you know, in tough people always forget in great times that, you know, what the friendships mean. And now it's where it really comes becomes important and relationships and network and, uh, are going to become everything in the next few, you know, I can't even say if it's a year or a couple of years, all I know is it's going to be faster than it was last time. Yeah. Um, and so on the ownership side, what are you guys, uh, I guess if you can give just a high level overview of, of the portfolio uh, sure. and what are you looking towards over the next 12 months um, uh, in, in, in terms of adding on to that portfolio? So our, our core business on the development side is light industrial, multifamily and self-storage um, in California, Arizona, Utah, Texas, Florida, a little bit up in uh you know carolinas and georgia but um you know we just are, went into escrow on our first piece of land in 18 months uh in um near you know outside of austin because it was for there was actually a reset in land basis you're starting to see that in san diego and ie as well um we're putting a bid in on a broken multi-family deal that's been stalled out so we're sticking to our knitting for that asset class types but we're starting to see, hey, I, you know, with the construction expertise, I can buy something that's 50% complete installed or 80% complete installed, you know, or we're looking at it where it's, where is it long enough to be able to take advantage of that land discount, knowing that the liquidity will come back into the banks in 18 months. And that's when we'll get our construction financing. So we're looking at other plays where we can entitle through the downturn, uh, you know, and, and, assuming the liquidity will be there or, or buying it cash and being able to sit on it. Um, and how do you capitalize these deals? Are you uh, syndicating through private capital? Are you doing um, joint ventures with uh, family offices or institutions who provide, you know, 90, 95% of the equity? Um, what's your capital looking like? It really depends on the deal. Um, so, you know, when we're in secondary markets, the majority of those are family offices and super high net worth individuals that have invested with us or, you know, that we'll search out. Uh, our large deals, you know, we've done deals with uh, insurance companies, private equity funds, public non-traded REITs. Uh, you know, those tend to be more merchant builds, uh, you know, just because they're more IRR driven. So it's, we, you know, we've, Again, because of the service business, we know a ton of folks, so we're able to kind of put the deal with the, the Rolodex, if you will. Um, like all operators, we're always looking for new introductions. So, um, you know, it's it's about having the relationships that are long-term and and knowing what deals to bring to the right people. You yeah. Know, I'm not bring a, a $10 million deal to a Walton Street uh, or a Liberty Mutual as an example. And have you found that the, you know, more institutional uh, investors, are they, I mean, they all say that they, they want to see deals, uh, show me deals, but are they transacting? Uh, more now than they were, mm -hmm. you know, and I think you're seeing some of it also depends on what part, if they're typically being a straight LP or if they're stepping, stepping in on prep equity or an LP plus prep equity, you know, they're, 
they're definitely, it's not like it was pre-rate hike. Um, you know, you do, there, there are firms out there for people that are listening like Peary, P-R-E, P-E-R-E, that will tell you the longevity of the funds. So you can look to see, you know, how, how long in the tooth is a fund for their investment period. And, you know, if they're, if they're newer funds, they're going to probably be more on the sidelines than if they're a, an aged fund that needs to get something out due to their investment period. Yeah. Um, are there any sensitivities or maybe perceived or actual conflicts of having two sides to this business? Um, you know, where a client of yours on the service side is skeptical of hiring you because you could be a competitor of theirs on some other transaction or that you'll gain the secret sauce, even though there's no secret sauce in real estate. It's not like tech, you know, in the technology world, but, but um, does that arise? It's always asked. I mean, and it, I'd say not always, I take that back. I probably 10% of our clients ask, Hey, are you going to be a competitor of ours or not? Mm -hmm. And my answer is based on performance feel free to, you know, here's a list of all references, any you want. I mean, you go three or 30. Uh, if you bring us into a market as a service provider, you know, I can tell you, we're not going to do a deal in that market without showing it to you. And it's just pure loyalty. And it goes back to we're customer and client obsessed. You know, I'm not going to burn a relationship over a deal. We've never done it and don't plan to. So we, we've never had a problem where a competitor with a client. Yeah. Many times men um, to invest with us. Sure. Uh, and look, even on the law firm side, you know, we're, uh, we invest with our clients uh, most often as LPs, sometimes we, as GPs, uh, especially when we're able to source capital. Um, and there will be questions as, as to uh, what I just alluded to. And uh, if you do right by people, then those questions uh, or those, the questions get answered really easily. Yeah, and I would flip it back to you a little bit, Andrew. I mean, I know you've got a, a, a big transaction port, you know, piece of your business and, you know, you've done a lot of workouts and you've done a lot of loan issuances. I've known you over the years and it's been so fun to watch your practice grow and really understand where you are. I mean, as you look at your lenders and your clients, like where do you see the worm turning or where do you see the opportunities as it comes here in, you know, in the not too distant future? Yeah. Um, look, it's, we're doing a lot more prep equity um, as everyone is, right? But uh, uh, whether it's cost overruns on a construction deal or on a new acquisition and the senior, like you alluded to, is is at 50% and the operators um, tapped out in terms of the common equity that they can raise, There's there are slugs that uh, of equity that are, uh, there's voids right? In, in, in the capital stack. And so, you know, being able to provide that type of capital um, has, has been vital. Uh, I also think being nimble and entrepreneurial in today's market will land you some phenomenal deals. Uh, I have a lot of friends in the institutional world and they have not transacted in 2023 um, for a variety of reasons. When will they you know, people are speculating maybe after Labor Day and, and the fourth quarter. Um, but but there are those that have been able to transact quickly 
There's more, more and more sellers every day because every day we get closer to a rate cap that needs to be purchased, a maturity that's uh, about to come due. Um, and so we're, we're seeing it. Uh, and I'm talking to my colleagues uh, in other firms. And you know, the first three, four, five months of this year, it was slow. Uh, and it's dating back to even 2022, the third and fourth quarters were, were slower. We're seeing a pickup in activity. We're seeing those opportunities uh, uh, happen, but it needs to be those, you know, I don't want to say exclusively private capital, but they definitely have the advantage because what institution uh, investment committee is going to approve an office deal today? It's very challenging. So, and we've done office deals, but it's private capital who's behind it. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's funny. People think of us as a developer, project manager. People think of you as legal counsel, but if you go through your list of clients and how often you inter interact with lenders or equity providers, it's like you're almost you're almost that lead into them for people that are looking for deals or needing to fix a deal without having to pay a broker. I mean, it's like I mean, I, I laugh with Thomas about it. I'm like, hey, if I want to know anybody in L.A., I call Kirsch. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's uh, and people forget of how valuable legal counsel can be for things that aren't just legal counsel. Oh, totally. And look, uh, obviously, we need to be experts and proficient uh, with our legal documentation, but uh, there's so much more. Uh, and we're we're in an intersection of deal flow and seeing uh, who's in, who's out, who's trustworthy, who's not. And 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 so I like personally to, to be a resource uh, for that beyond just lawyering. Um, so thanks for, for recognizing that, uh, Colby, it, it is that time for, uh, the world famous real talk lightning round. Are you, are you prepared for, for this? Since it's my first time, be gentle, please. Yeah. Okay. Uh, very easy since I don't have any of the questions, they just pop into my head. And, uh, I think we're going to, I alluded to, I, 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 uh, to, to your, um, fascination with, uh, extreme sports. So uh where did it come from but quick answers here where to come from the hella skiing and and all these other dare daredevil type of activities well, and if you could my neck when i was 14 and decided i was never going to be afraid of anything again and so it was uh from that point forward i just decided to live live life to the fullest what is the one of because you can't say the best one of the best i don't know extreme sport experiences that you've had I got to say, swimming with schools of striped marlin off of the coast of Mexico, off Mag Bay, and then watching a whale come through and eat the bait that was right behind us. So while we were after, right after we've been in the water with all of it, but just truly being part of ecosystems is pretty primal and epic. Oh my! How how close were you to a whale? Uh, so we were swimming with all the marlin. You know, dozens and dozens of striped marlin actually eating all the sardines. And uh -huh. my buddy and I actually swam back to the boat. We're about 20 yards away. And and I kid you not, Phil looks at me and goes, man, this is just kind of like that Moby Dick moment. And out of nowhere, a finback whale came up and just completely ate the entire bait ball we were just in the middle of. Oh, my God. Yeah, that would scare yeah. the shit out of me. Um... <laughs> no, but I've been very fortunate in my life. I've, to your point, I've had some epic epic bluebird days skiing all over the country in europe and um you know just 
being with family that that like to do it with you and being with friends and it's you know it's uh we we all get hitched to our desk too often and we forget that it's it's a shorter run than we think yeah absolutely and look we know each other from ypo so i guess my next question is you know you give so much whether it's towards ypo philanthropic and other organizations um you know what you know what drives you and uh with in spending you know all this time on on you know non specific real estate creed activities you know i think at the at the end of the day somewhat is my parents um how i was brought up my my dad was an orthopedic surgeon that um you know, was part of a group called Tishner in Long Beach. Uh, they pro bono surgery for a dollar a child per surgery. And uh, he actually practiced for there for 50 years, uh, giving back. Uh, my mother set up a, a after school learning program and library foundation in Long Beach for uh, less fortunate children. And so I watched them as, you know, as role models and um, YPO, you know, it, it any organization you're part of, it's you get out of it what you put into it. And to me, it um, it really helped me guide my business and and structure my sale of fifty percent of my business to my partner. Um, the people are just absolute quality. And then the the other big big you know foundation and charity that I'm involved with is War Heroes on the Water, and that's a fishing tournament where we take combat veterans out. Um, be 125 this year on 45 boats. We put them on high performance sport fishing teams for three days. And we take folks that have been in kinetic combat that, you know, that can have come home that, and we put them back on a high performance team again. And um, we give them a home. And it's, you know, I'm a big believer in supporting our veterans, our first responders that have so much responsibility. And a lot of people don't recognize it because there's not a paycheck associated with it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's such a testament to you and, you know, we're all busy, whether it's through our professional lives, family, kids, little league, I mean, giving back to, to the community. I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, after that, I, I can't ask you as to what inning we're in or what asset class you think is underrepresented. So you, you've been amazing and uh, always uh, open and can candid with, um, uh, with me and and always helpful with with my clients and uh, I appreciate you coming on and just talking about Creed and just talking about your you know um, you know the data points that you see in the marketplace so so always appreciate it. Sure, and we do a you know a quarterly construction cost forecast. So if any of your clients or anybody listening wants to to see it uh, or get on our mailing list, please reach out to me be be Andrew and happy to share. All right. Well, Colby, I can't wait to see you, whether it's uh, jumping off out of a helicopter or swimming with sharks or marlin or doing whatever the hell it is that you're doing. You can always invite me. I'm not sure if I'm going to say yes, but uh, please keep the invitations coming. Sounds good, buddy. See you soon. All right. Take care, Colby. You've been listening to Real Talk, Real Estate Discussions with Andrew Kirsch. You can catch prior episodes at scalarkirsch.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and for sharing this show with others.